if, if they take over coaching like everybody wants them to, there's not going to be anything left for the white people. I mean, all the players are black. I mean, the only thing that the whites control is the coaching jobs. Now, I'm not being derogatory about it, but that's all that's left for them. So black talent is beautiful. It's great. It's out there. The only thing left for the whites is a, a couple coaching jobs. Yeah, maybe we need to get more black coaches. <laughs> oh, it's all right with me. I'm sure that they'll take over that pretty soon, too. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. Thank you for downloading. And thank you for subscribing to the latest edition of the 12 Kyle podcast. I'm 12 Kyle. Check this out. I want to read something to you that I wrote. And it reads, quote, Imagine getting ready to play in the game of your life. You're moments away from the start of the game and you hear a loud cheer. The cheers get louder and louder. You look around and you see the president of the United States walking onto the field and he's greeted with chants of USA, USA. And the chants are coming from the fans who came to see you play. But the majority of the fans don't look like you. Now, this man opposes almost everything that you, the athletic student, represents. Suddenly, you realize these fans aren't for you. They are for the situation and the institution that you earn money for. Then you realize that there's a game to play. You have to suppress your surprise and maybe some anger, and go out and play the game of your life. It's humbling. As a player, you block it out, and you play for the man next to you. The reality is, beyond the hype and adulation of the fans, you're in the battle with the people that are closest to you. And that's it. Everybody else is the enemy. Close quote. That's something that I wrote in a post, in a group chat to my friends earlier this year as I sat down to watch the national championship game between uh, LSU and Clemson. At the time of this recording, it was January of 2020. And it got me to thinking about the pink elephant that is in the room race and sports and a lot of people don't want to talk about race I mean hell I don't really talk about it on this podcast but I wanted to offer some perspective if you will from what I saw in that particular moment and maybe what some of those players may have felt and just what I feel When it deals with the color, uh, the color of sport, if you will. Um, Now, I'm not going to talk about the game because the game has already happened. But again, what happens is when you find yourself, you, the black athlete, or in this case, the athletic student, because I never call them student athletes because they're really not student athletes. They're athletic students, but they're there to 
play a game. And again, the people in the stands don't look like them. That is a huge dose of reality. And I'm sure it was a huge dose of reality for the players for Clemson as well as LSU. But that being said, race and sports, uh, you know, have always intertwined. And it makes it difficult a lot of times for the black athlete because the black athlete is, you know, as far back as, a, as we can remember, you know, when, once the black athlete first gained acceptance from the white population, um, in a sense, they were good enough to be accepted because of their athletic prowess but not good enough because of the color of their skin. And that is a tightrope that most don't want to try to attempt to walk. But through our, you know, period and time on this earth, we have. Um, Fast forward beyond the national championship game, it got me to thinking about a couple of things that I want to touch on this podcast. Uh, First and foremost, one of the things that doesn't get talked out talked about a lot when it comes to sports is code talk on TV. Uh, I think it's interesting when you think about it because more often than not, the people who are paid to cover sports don't look like me. And with me being a former athlete, I played football. Uh, from the age of eight all the way through high school and through college. Uh, I think it makes a difference when you are watching a game and you hear, you know, announcers describe an athlete, uh, particularly a black athlete, and they use code words. And what I mean by code words is, for example, you may be watching a game And you may hear an announcer talk about, let's say, I don't know, Lamar Jackson, the quarterback for the Baltimore Ravens. They may talk about how fast he is, how quick he is, how athletic he is, you know, how high he can jump. You never hear them talk about how smart he is. And honestly, to play the position of quarterback in the NFL you actually have to be pretty smart. I mean, like you can't be you can't be a dummy. And when I mean smart, I don't mean necessarily A's and B's as far as schoolwork is concerned, but you have to be there's a certain level of an, an, of intelligence that you must have. Which is interesting because the quarterback position traditionally for many years really wasn't a position that black men were allowed to play because you know, in the 70s, you know, teams thought that You know, the black quarterback was not intelligent. A black man was not intelligent enough to, you know, run an offense. It's preposterous. Of course we were. Uh, But that being said, again, you never hear anything about, you know, how intelligent or how bright someone like Lamar Jackson is. You hear about how athletic he is. Or you may hear you may be listening to or watching a game and they may describe a basketball player as being physical dominant 
uh, aggressive <laughs> code words. You never hear one term I used to always hear uh, when I was coming up was I would always hear about basketball players being quote unquote gym rats. You want to take a guess as to the color of the people who were described as gym rats were? I've never heard any announcer mention a black man as a gym rat. Oh, yeah, they talk about how much they could jump or how high they could jump or how aggressive they were. But never, you know, how intelligent they were. But the Christian Leitners, the Larry Birds, Chris Mullins, John Stockton's, those guys, you know, there's no knock on them because I like them as, you know, players. But they were always, you know, referred to as intelligent and they used their God-given ability to... (laughs) They almost made it sound like they had to use everything they had to overcome their lack of athleticism, which is bullshit. I mean, let's just call it what it is. Nonetheless, code talk on TV isn't anything new to the year 2020. Case in point, I remember when I was coming up in the 80s. There was a guy by the name of Jimmy the Greek Snyder. And Jimmy the Greek was a prognosticator on uh, he was on CBS and he would be the guy who would you know tell you what the odds were if the Giants were playing against the Redskins you know what you know who who would be a favorite and how much he would pick them by and basically you could listen to him and place your bets if you will it was kind of kind of organized but you know that type of thing and you know Jimmy the Greek seemed to be I don't know from what I could tell seemed to be a decent guy And then one day, Jimmy the Greek goes on TV. He was being interviewed and he was at lunch and he was clearly, at least it appears to me. I mean, I was I might have been 10 when this happened. Uh, It appeared to me that Jimmy the Greek was, you know, somewhat saucy. (laughs) And uh, they were asking him about, you know, his thoughts on the uh, Martin Luther King Day and holiday and Jimmy Greek just goes left and starts talking about slavery. The popular betting man sportscaster got himself into trouble during a lunchtime interview about the significance of Martin Luther King's birthday. He said that blacks were bred to be superior athletes. The slave owner would 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 breed his big black to his big woman so that he could have a, a, big, a, big, a big black kid. See? And Snyder said that's why blacks excel over whites in sports. The black is a better athlete to begin with because he's been bred to be that way because of his high thighs and big thighs that goes up into his back. And so after he says that, he adds a little more flavor to it. Yeah, pretty soon they're going to have to equalize it for the blacks. For the Greeks, the Jews, and for everybody. I mean, let's make it equal for everybody, you know. And uh, is it equal? What about in sports? Well, they've got everything. If, if they take over coaching like everybody wants them to, there's not going to be anything left for the white people. I mean, all the players are black. I mean, the only thing that the whites control is the coaching jobs. Now, I'm not being derogatory about it, but that's all that's left for them. The black talent is beautiful. It's great. It's out there. 
The only thing left for the whites is a, a couple coaching jobs. Yeah, maybe we need to get more black coaches. Don't you? Oh, it's all right with me. Okay, well, I'm sure that they'll take over that pretty soon, too. Right, right, right. And so even listening to that now, it makes you think like, wow, he really said that. Now, even in his statement of talking about, you know, how the black man was bred, you know, he probably failed to mention about how the slave owner was, you know, killing and raping and enslaving these people. Uh, you know, little details he just kind of left out. Nonetheless, you know, obviously, if that happened today, you know, he would lose his job. And for those of you who weren't weren't around at that time, I'll let you in on a little secret. Uh, he got fired. And of course, CBS released this statement. You know, on Friday afternoon here in Washington, our former colleague, Jimmy the Greek, made some regrettable and offensive remarks for which he has apologized. Yesterday, CBS issued a statement disassociating itself from those remarks. It goes without saying that his comments do not reflect in any way the thinking or attitudes of the rest of us here at CBS Sports. While we deplore the incident this weekend, we are saddened that our 12-year association with Jimmy had to end this way. I mean, they tried to cover it, but, you know, it was, there was, the fire was too hot. Fire was way too high. You, you can't say stuff like that. And I mean, he came off about as racist as you could be. In his mind, he thought he meant well, but he didn't. And it was a huge uproar, even back then. And again, this was a time where there was no, you know, TMZ. There was no Internet or anything like that. So speaking and talking in codes uh, wasn't anything new. And again, it's still something that you see today. You know, I, <laughs> I always chuckle because I'll give you an example and I'll make it really simple for those of you who don't necessarily follow football. Um, the position that I played when I played football in high school and little league and college at South Carolina State University I played wide receiver, right? And <laughs> for lack of a better term, white, I mean, uh, yeah, you really don't see a lot of white wide receivers. It's not a black position per se, but, you know, most of the people that play receiver are black. And so every now and then when you see a white receiver and you see an announcer or hear an announcer talking about the white receiver and he makes a comparison to the white receiver, it will always be to another white receiver. I mean, <laughs> every white receiver that you can think of is always compared to another white receiver. He's never compared to, and if he's compared to another white receiver, it might be a white receiver from a different era. But it's never, you know, compared to a black receiver. I mean, just it's unfortunate, but that's what they do. Again, code talk. But, you know, while we don't have uh, people like Jimmy the Greek making these kind of statements anymore, uh, code talk still, you know, is still very prevalent. And, um, you know, again, it's, it's the elephant in the room. We don't need to talk about color, but it's right there. And. People, you know, dance around it 
And uh, it's, it's very unfortunate. One of the other issues that I have with uh, when you talk about, you know, color and race in sports is the lack of diversity in the front offices and coaching ranks. And uh, for me, that's a very sore subject because when I look across the board, when you look across the major sports, NFL, NBA, Major League Baseball, if I'm looking for ownership, just ownership of the three major sporting uh, entities, there's only one black owner. And that's in the NBA. And his name is Michael Jeffrey Jordan. Right. So Jordan's the only black owner. There's no black NFL owners. I mean, hell. There's one NFL team that has a black. I think they have a black general manager. uh, And a black head coach. And that's the Miami Dolphins. So, you know, it's. It's unfortunate. And the reality is, is that most sporting organizations, most teams, their hiring practices will probably fall in line a lot with how we do in everyday life. For example, if I know you and I'm working at company X and I know you and you need a job and you're cool with me. And if I'm cool with management, I could say, hey, bring in my man right here. He's good. And, you know, they'll interview you in the whole nine, but you're going to get the job on the strength of me. A lot of you who who are listening to this podcast probably got your job because you knew somebody where you worked. There's no shame in that. I mean, that's usually how it goes. It's that's very prevalent. I mean, some people get jobs through nepotism. It happens. I'm not here to bemoan the point of it happening. But I just want to make you know a parallel here is that while it happens, what happens when you don't have any diversity in your organization? If there are no black people in your front office, you know, how, how, do, how do we break in? How do we how are we afforded the opportunity? Are we just are we just good enough to play for your team? And not be a part of management. And, you know, that's the thing. It's very unfortunate because all across the board, from the front offices to the coaching staffs, you see people who have relationships Case in point, this past offseason in the NFL, you know, there were several hires. There was only one minority candidate who was actually afforded a head coaching job. I think there were eight vacancies and, you know, one only only one minority candidate got a job. And that was Ron Rivera, who is Hispanic. He took the job with the football team in Washington. And so. Whether it be baseball, basketball, or football, if you have coaching staffs that, you know, if you know somebody that know, I mean, it's 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 one big network, 
and everybody kind of looks out for each other. But what happens is, is that if Tom and Mike are golfing buddies and Mike's out of a job and Mike is, you know, and Tom is a head coach, he's going to look out for his guy. But what happens to me when I'm trying to break into that room? I'm not afforded the same opportunities. And I think more than anything else, when it comes to diversity, we just want an opportunity. We want an opportunity as players. We want an opportunity to be a part of management. We want a part to be we want to have an opportunity to be a part of coaching staffs. And we don't just want to be assistant coaches. We want to have the opportunity to be head coaches of NFL teams or NBA teams and not the teams, not just the teams that suck. I mean, (laughs) a couple of years ago, I saw saw where, you know, a brother, Steve Wilson, he got the head coaching job for the Arizona Cardinals in the NFL, lasted one year, got fired. And they brought in a guy who had never coached in the NFL before. And the guy that they brought in was white. Now, I'm not saying that Steve Wilson got fired because he was black. He got fired because the team wasn't good. But generally speaking, you you normally get to coach a little more than you get more than a year to coach. Right. But what happens when your replacement comes in and he doesn't do as well as you did and he still keeps his job? It doesn't look good. And while nobody is, you know, accusing the Cardinals for being racist, it looks shitty. But that's a part of the coloring of sports. That's a part of the coloring of sports. And it's it's time out and it's time that we recognize it for what it is. So, again, we and when I say we, I speak as a black man who is a black fan as well. We want to see diversity. I'm not asking you to give anybody anything. The NFL currently has a policy called the Rooney Rule. It was named after Pittsburgh Steeler owner Art Rooney. And the Rooney Rule simply states that when a NFL team is looking to hire a head coach or general manager, they must interview at least one minority candidate for the position. And what it appears to me that teams are doing now is just circumventing. They're just interviewing, having these token interviews when they already have an idea as to who they want to hire. Don't interview me if you already plan to hire somebody else, because I understand even in the quote unquote real world, you know, the EEOC mandates that you have certain number of, you know, minorities, women that you should interview before a position is actually given to, a you know, perspective and so I understand how that works but at the same time the NFL looks bad and and the NBA and and Major League Baseball they're they're not absolved from the criticism either there's even less minorities in you know Major League Baseball and basketball is a little bit better but it ain't much better everybody can do better and so when you talk about the coloring of sports, you know, I've already touched on the front of how it's portrayed on TV. And I've touched on, you know, coaching 
and the front offices. And I want to take a quick break. And after the break, I want to talk about the fans, because I think the fans have an interesting point in all of this. Sit tight. I'll be back in just a second. As I mentioned before the break, I want to talk about the fans. And every time I think about the fans, I can't help but think about the uh, 1989 movie, Do the Right Thing. And there's a scene where Pino and Spike Lee are talking about, you know, how Pino, the Italian, sees not just Spike Lee, but how he sees black people. And it's very interesting to say the least. Anchovy and pepperoni. Okay. Just hold on one second. See, Daddy? Mookie's fucking talking on the phone. People are trying to call in orders. He's making us lose business. Mookie! 20 minutes. How come niggas are so stupid? You see a nigga kick his ass. Fuck you and stay off the phone. Hey, Mookie, forget about it. Can I talk to you for a second? What? Pino, who's your favorite basketball player? Magic Johnson. Who's your favorite movie star? Eddie Murphy. Who's your favorite rock star? Prince. You're a Prince Ross. Bruce. Prince. Bruce. Pino, all you ever talk about is nigga this and nigga that. And all your favorite people are so-called niggas. It's different. Magic, Eddie, Prince. I'm not niggas. I mean, they're not black. I mean... Let me explain myself. They're, they're not really black. I'm, I mean, they're black, but they're not really black. They're, they're more than black. It's, it's, it's different. It's different. Yeah, to me, it's, it's different. Even to this day, that scene still makes me cringe because there are people that actually think like that. I think for fans, what they have to understand is that, you know, we're all black and we want to be treated with respect. And just because, you know, we can run, we can jump, we can catch, we can dunk a basketball, we can throw a pitch, uh, we can, you know, make a block or throw a touchdown pass. We're still black. I was reading an article the other day and (laughs) it's crazy because it was talking about how uh, racism And the black athlete has manifested itself in the city of Boston. Now, you don't have to be a big sports fan to understand that Boston has always had a bad rap for being a racist town, particularly when it came to their sports figures. Um, And it talked about how uh, a guard on the team by the name of uh, what's his name? Marcus Smart. Marcus Smart had just had a great game or whatever for the he plays for the Celtics and he was leaving the arena and he was, I guess, driving in traffic and a lady was crossing the street with her kids and the lady had on uh, a Celtics jersey of one of uh, <laughs> one of Marcus Smart's black teammates and the lady was in the intersection and Marcus Smart, you know, kind of rolled his window down, you know, just to tell the lady like, hey, you need to look out because you need to pay attention because I guess she walked in the street not knowing and not even looking to see his car. He said it was nice. 
he's just rolled his window down and said that. And the lady turned around and yelled at him, shut the fuck up, nigga. Get the fuck off the street. Close quote. Huh? What? You, 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 you talking to, you talking to a guy who you just spent the last two hours in the game cheering for, and that's the way that you address him. But when I hear stuff like that, it makes me think about you know the interaction that you know Pino and Mookie had in Do the Right Thing. You know, did that lady? Those black players that she, you know, spent two hours for the Celtics rooting for, is that how she sees them? You know, is that what it is? And, you know, fans, some fans, some white fans, I won't say all, some white fans, honestly, and black fans too, but more so white fans, I think some are are resentful of the money that these black athletes are making. Again, some. Not all, maybe a small percentage of them. But no, I don't have a problem with you going to the arena to boo the opposing player. I don't have any. I don't have any problem with that at all. But I think some of the fans have gotten way beside themselves with how they carry themselves at the stadiums and how they carry themselves online. Because see, here's the thing. I've seen fans say things on social media to some of these athletes that they would never say to their face. Right. And, you know, anybody can get keyboard courage. (laughs) Anybody can get that. But I think you have to be mindful that these are people and these are men and these are women. And, you know, they they. They can come see you and they will come see you if need be. But I think at the end of the day, yeah, you're the fan. But you're the one that helps control the experience. All the players want is respect. But no, you're not going to come to my place of employment. Yeah, you paid to get in. But you're not going to come to my place of employment and try to berate me it's not gonna happen and I think most leagues have done a good job in trying to curb that from the fans now every now and then you get some assholes and players understand it and for mo- for the most part I think most players are able to block it out but every now and then there are some who cross the line and they know that they crossed the line they know that they crossed the line And there have been several examples. I won't even get into it. But, you know, fans can make or break the experience that they have with the players, particularly black players. I know just from my own personal observation, I live here in the city of Atlanta. I've gone to Falcons games. At one point in time, I was a season ticket holder for the Falcons. And the sporting arena is... A very, very interesting place. Your stands, your stadiums are very interesting places because you can go into a stadium, right? And in a row of seats, you can have a black guy, 
you know, who works at, I don't know, Fortune 500 company making mid six figures. And right beside him, you can have a white blue collar guy who works for a construction company making $40,000 a year. And they're sitting there. They will both have a, have beers, watching the games, rooting on their team. And when the home team scores, they will give each other high five and, you know, they're yelling and screaming and just enjoying themselves. And it's all love. It is all love for three hours as they root on root for their home team. But the interesting thing is that when those three hours are over, that black guy goes his way, that white guy goes his way. And they really, for all intents and purposes, don't cross paths. And I just know that from the experience that they have in the game, hopefully that can spark conversations about, you know, what they like or what they're into. And and these two men could be on two of the most opposite ends of political beliefs, religious beliefs, you know, how they live their lives. But they came together because of the sport, whether it be basketball, football, baseball, hockey, whatever the case may be. And I think what we need to do is to tap more into that humanity than anything else. Because black athletes want the respect. They want the love. They want the money. They want the adulation, but they also want the respect. And they want to be able to live in their world. They want to be able to not have to live in a bubble. They want to be able to maneuver throughout this life just like anyone else would. And again, they want, you know, something that what their their white counterparts get. And that's the love and respect. And more or less, they they also want the opportunities. They want opportunities for diversity in in the front offices for the teams they play for. They want to hear themselves, you know, talked about in the same glowing terms that you talk about their white teammates or white counterparts. I've never heard anybody, any announcer talk about how how athletic Tom Brady is because he's not athletic. I mean, we can we can look at him and tell. But yeah, you talk about how smart he is, and he's very smart. He's very smart to play the position. He would not be as great as he is had he not been as smart as he is. But there's a level of athleticism to Tom Brady, just like there's a level of athleticism and, and a whole lot level of intelligence to the Patrick Mahomes and the you know Deshaun Watsons and the LeBron James of the world. And I think we have to tap into that. Because one thing that I do know about sports is it's about color, but the ultimate color is green. And what color is green? Green is for the money. Yeah, money is green. And that's what it's all about. And if you can make the money, you know, things will change. But more often than not, we it's, it's not even about the money. We just want the change. We want the opportunities. 
And when you look at what the black athlete has gone through from Jesse Owens in 1936 facing Hitler all the way up until now, we want the respect and we want the opportunity. And when you look at the grand scheme of things, that's really not asking for a lot. That's going to do it for me, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for checking out the latest edition of the 12 Kyle podcast. That's going to do it for me. I'll catch you guys next time. Five G's.